Good morning, Dublin. Good afternoon, Dubai. And good evening, Hanoi. From Washington, D.C., I'm Ethan Plotkin, and this is Intrigue Out Loud, your go-to audio guide to the globe. On today's show, I'm joined by Intrigue co-founder John Fowler to discuss China's parliamentary session and the tale of two political prisoners. It's all coming up. Morning, John. How are you? Doing good, Asian. Fresh wake, ready to get at it. Yeah, yeah. We missed you on Friday. It's good to see you again. Uh, so, so first up, we're heading to Beijing for a look at China's 3,000-member parliamentary session. And I got to say, wow, I mean, that's a lot of members. I imagine it's pretty hard to pass legislation with so many conflicting opinions. <laughs> uh, well, not quite. Uh, it's not exactly a forum for spirited debate over over contentious issues. Uh, the National People's Congress, uh, or the NPC as it's kind of colloquially known, is essentially just a rubber stamp parliament that's designed to make you know it's designed to make the voices of the people heard. But in reality, it's it's a bit more like North Korea's official name has Democratic Republic in it. But you know, Democratic Republic doesn't describe North Korea. Um, the NPC's members aren't elected. Uh, they're appointed and they include business executives and celebrities. Um, for example, this year, China's first female fighter pilot has been designated as a delegate. Um, and then at the same time as the NPC, there's another legislative session that takes place at the same time. It's separate, but it happens at the same time. Um, and that's called the China... The Chinese People's Political Consultative Conference, which is a bit of a mouthful, um, and it has 2,158 delegates in its membership. Uh, and I actually sat through the Shanghai government's sort of local version of this meeting back when I was in, uh, a diplomat in China. And let me tell you, it is a snooze fest. <laughs> um, but anyway, the, the jokes aside, these two meetings together are collectively known as the two sessions. You might see that in the media. I, I don't think that's a knock against the uh, the Chinese People's Political Consultative Conference conference uh, to call it a snooze fest. I think most <laughs> legislative sessions, regardless of where they take place, are indeed snooze fest. But, Very fair. But, but John, didn't China just have a, a big meeting late last year uh, to give President Xi Jinping a, a third term? That's why we pay you the big bucks, Ethan. You're spot on. Uh, good memory. Um, but that was actually the Communist Party Congress. So that's kind of like the political meeting of the Communist Party um, that happens every five years. Um, and in reality, that's a way more important meeting than these two sessions meetings, which happen every year. Um, this year, I mean, get this, the meeting started on Saturday uh, and they'll last to roughly around March 17th is when they're expected to end. I know how you feel about our 45-minute weekly team calls, Ethan. I I, uh, I suspect you wouldn't be too thrilled about a two-week-long meeting. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, the idea of this these meetings is that the, the legislation that the delegates will rubber stamp kind of tells us about Xi Jinping's priorities and, you know, the Chinese government's priorities and which members of the Central Committee, the CC, the, the, the Communist Party's Central Committee, are kind of, you know, politically powerful. And what have we learned in past sessions or, or, or uh, two sessions, rather? Yeah, I know. Keeping all these things straight in your head can be a bit difficult. There have been some fa fairly remarkable announcements in the past, even though these two sessions are fairly rubber stampy. Uh, to to use a odd phrase, um, but a lot of times the 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 announcements are telegraphed in advance. We kind of can predict what 
what they're going to come up with, but sometimes they come completely out of the blue. For example, uh, the two sessions is where China passed the so-called national security legislation relating to Hong Kong um, in 2020, and that came after months of protest against a Chinese extradition bill in Hong Kong, as folks might remember that. Um, and then the following year, so 2021, while those protests were ongoing, the NPC, so one of the sessions in the two sessions, passed legislation to bar non-patriots from holding office in Hong Kong. Uh, the, the legislation was unanimously passed with one abstention. So they do sometimes gi give rise to, you know, big deal, uh, big deal legislation. Um, and if we go back even a few years before that, the MPC passed a bill in 2018 that eliminated the term limits for Chinese presidents, which we now famously know has paved the way for President Xi Jinping to serve an unprecedented third term as leader. You know, we expect the MPC to formally approve that that third term for Xi Jinping um, in in the next couple of weeks. But that's kind of the role of these two sessions. And what can we expect from from this year's two sessions? over the course of the, the two weeks. Right. Well, in addition to probably confirming Xi Jinping's third term, I mean, when I say probably, certainly confirming Xi Jinping's third term, um, there'll be a bunch of different decisions, political decisions that kind of get made official, you know, by the by the, the two sessions. So, for example, a lot of appointments of senior officials uh, are made during the, this period. Um and uh, we expect Li Qiang to be confirmed as the premier, so the second in charge in China. Um, and, you know, China nerds will be paying really close attention to who gets appointed to the sort of top governing bodies like the state council and cabinet that probably won't make headlines, but does give a sense of who's in who's in favor and who's out of favor in China. Well, this seems like a good time to ask. Are you going to be paying attention to who's appointed to uh, you know the state council and cabinet? If I can find little toothpicks for my eyelids, uh, maybe. <laughs> a reluctant China nerd, John Fowler. Uh, and what about China's economic policy? I mean, it's this feels like a an important moment, sort of a, a, a coming out for, for China, uh, a, a reemergence onto the, the global stage after a few years away. Yeah, exactly. You know, they've, China's just ended its, you know, pretty economically disastrous zero COVID policy. Um, so they'll want to be seeing a big economic rebound this year. Chinese policymakers are expected to set a growth goal of 5% after only hitting 3% growth last year. Uh, and the and the MPC will probably be also thinking about how to increase things like the country's birth rate and and how to address some challenges in the housing market. So a lot of policy decisions that they'll be considering um, to kind of demonstrate that China's across the issues and and bouncing back after COVID. Xi's political standing suffered a fair bit during COVID. He was seen as making some pretty poor decisions during COVID. So I think he'll be very, very keen to make sure the two sessions are portrayed as positive, effective, and getting China back to business. The idea that we've come through a tough time, but everything is going to plan with me in charge, so don't worry. So I guess to summarize the kind of political context around these two meetings, it's the, it's the place that she will formalize his near total control over the levers of power in China. And, you know, in my opinion, and it's just my opinion, that kind of raises the stakes for Xi Jinping. It's obviously a lot harder to blame others for mistakes when you're the one who handpicked those people. So that's the context. John, that's actually precisely how I feel about your decision to hire me. <laughs> so what I'm hearing is that uh, I'm actually to blame for your mistakes. Is that right? You got it right. Today's show is sponsored by Roka. 
We really like newsletters, and we've got another recommendation that you've got to check out. The Current by Roka News. Here's what we like about it. It was founded by people who don't like the negative, partisan, and alarmist style of news. It favors facts over opinions, and it tells you what you need to know for the day so you can hold your own at happy hour. Check out the link in the show notes to learn more. All right, welcome back. Next up, we have two adjacent stories that broke at just about the same time on Friday. Uh, So, John, tell us the news. Yeah, these are two fairly grim stories from separate corners of the globe. I don't think they're related in any way, but they caught our attention because they reminded us how fragile political freedom is in a lot of places around the world. So let's start in Belarus, where a man named Alex Bieliatsky has been sentenced to 10 years in prison for his involvement in protests against President Lukashenko's re-election in 2020. Most international observers said that election was plainly unfair and unfree. You know, Lukashenko won 80% of the vote after all, so you can you can sort of take from that what you will. Uh, Lukashenko is a dictator, that, full stop. He's Europe's last dictator. Uh, he's pulled no punches in sending people to prison or forcing them into exile for opposing his rule. So you think sending another person to prison wouldn't necessarily make the headlines, but Bieliatsky is no ordinary activist. He's a veteran of Belarus's human rights and pro-democracy movement, and he won a Nobel Prize for that work last year. He has predictably been imprisoned before from 2011 to 2014, but this new 10-year sentence shows just how dangerous it is for anyone, even a Nobel laureate with the world's eyes on him, to oppose Lukashenko's rule. Yeah, I mean, Bieliatsky was was obviously in prison for months before Putin's invasion of Ukraine. But it seems like this this sentence shows how brazen Lukashenko has become uh, since he threw his hat into the ring with Russia. It it kind of seems like a thumb in the West side. I think that's right. But John, we got we got to move on to the next story unfortunately. So so what is this next story we're we're tracking? Well, it's re- I mean, as I said, it's not related, but it's related in in a sense because the next story is out of Cambodia and uh it's probably even more shocking if that's possible. Last Friday about the same time as the news from Belarus broke, a Cambodian court sentenced opposition leader Kem Soka to 27 years of house arrest. Unlike Bieliatsky, who seemed to not have any political aspirations, wasn't trying to hold higher office or challenge Lukashenko, Soka was a politician who was widely considered the most potent potential rival to Cambodia's Prime Minister uh, Hun Sen. And, and Hun Sen's been in charge of Cambodia as a dictator since uh, 1985. Now, I you know, I don't know whether it's possible to actually remove Hun Sen. That's a completely different question, but people say, analysts were saying that if it was going to be anyone, it was going to be soccer. So he was arrested in 2017, a few months before his party was officially dissolved. And he's, he has been on trial for plotting a coup since 2020. The primary evidence that authorities have been using to prosecute that case is fairly thin. They say that in 2013, soccer gave a speech in Australia in which he thanked the United States for supporting him. And that's what prosecutors are using to say that he was soliciting foreign interference to plan a coup. You can't help but think that even Judge Judy requires more compelling evidence than that to convict. <laughs> been, have you been watching much much Judge Judy, uh, John? Exactly. Daytime TV, mate. That's, that's, that's all I do <laughs> these days. Um, but j- just to kind of round out this story, some analysts think that Prime Minister Hun Sen will show his mercy uh, and pardon soccer after Cambodia's election this July. 
But really, I think to sum it all up, the message here is the same as in Belarus and it's the same as in China with the famous case of Liu Xiaobo and numerous others around the world. And that message is in authoritarian regimes, don't mess with the man in charge. Well, thanks, John. Thanks, Ethan. Here are a couple other stories we're tracking today. The director general of the UN's nuclear watchdog, Rafael Grossi, traveled to Iran on Friday, days after his agency's inspectors discovered uranium that was enriched just below the threshold required to build a nuclear bomb. Iran denies that it has any intentions to build a bomb. The Argentine government appealed to the UK to restart negotiations over the Falkland Islands, otherwise known as the Malvinas, that have been stalled since 2016. Nearly 100% of Falcon residents, 99.8% of them, voted to remain a British overseas territory in a 2013 referendum. And that's going to do it for me. By the way, four astronauts took flight to the International Space Station last Thursday, and they hail from a pretty surprising trio of countries. And one of them made history. Check out the International Intrigue newsletter to see how. In the meantime, I'm Ethan Plotkin. See you on Wednesday. <laughs>